The Thing and Iron Man. Welcome to FW Team Up, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Siskoid. And I'm a legal machine. Taking you through a classic superhero team up, The Thing and Iron Man from Marvel 2 in 1, number 12, cover dated November 1975. And Mac is the illegal machine Iron Man's armor. Is that, is that what it is? Is that where the nickname comes from? Uh, absolutely not. But for the purpose of this podcast, let's go with it. <laughs> All right. Well, in each episode of the FW Team Up, one panelist will pick one character to defend. So in this case, Mac, who is your guy? Uh, I mean, Iron Man's my guy. If you listen to Rolled Spine podcasts at all, you will know that's that's been my guy since I got into comics. So I guess I will take him. And I will take the thing. As is customary, we'll preface with a reason or reasons why we like the character we've chosen. Mac, at the risk of repeating some of the things you've said over at Rolled Spine, uh, what's so great about Iron Man? Well, Siskoid, how can I break this down? Tony Stark, he makes you feel he's a cool exec with a heart of steel. Is Iron Man all jets ablaze? He's fighting and smiting with repulsor rays. Amazing armor, that's Iron Man, a blaze of power, that's Iron Man. I just made that up. No, kidding. Kidding aside, I was drawn to Iron Man as a kid. Um, just flipping through issues in our local comic shop, it was, you know, you could see the technology, and he's got different armors he can change into, uh, he gets chicks, drives cool cars, what's not to love? Fair enough, he's the, he's the James Bond of the, um, move over, Nick Fury. Right, he's kind of like, uh, like Bruce Wayne without all the weird child kidnapping. It's just going to, what's one thing you like about Ben Grimm? I get to answer this question a lot. Uh, this time, I'll pick, uh, the inking on the rocks, uh, when they're done well. I, I just love the look of those. I don't know, the way it makes them look. I guess it's the Joe Sinot style shading that a lot of artists later uh, picked up. Anytime it's missing, it's like I don't like the story as much. I don't like the sort of blown out lighting on the thing where it all just seems like he's cracked up. I like it when there there seems to be, I don't know, a, a third dimension to it. Uh, and, uh, and this very issue does that. I mean, the thing is always has that look. That that's on the cover by by Jack Kirby. It's on it's in the interior by Ron Wilson. He's kind of got that classic look, and whenever somebody tries to take kind of a different take on it, it does look a little weird. No, I mean the thing himself looks strange. It's a bizarre. I, he will really kind of know he's rock because they tell us it's rock, right? Because he's orange. There's not tons of orange rock out there. But when somebody tries to kind of mix it up and do something different, it's a little off-putting. So I like Iron Man just as you do, as anyone does, I guess. Um, He's, you know, he's a big movie star. Is The Thing a particular favorite of yours? You know, I, I feel like he should be, just because The Thing's just always there. He's always popping in, in, the, in and out of other people's books. He's always in these Marvel team-ups. But I just, flipping through my collection, I just don't have a lot of Thing books. It's weird because, I mean, this is a guy that normally works in a quartet. It's a team that doesn't necessarily work as, as solo characters, but they've tried to do that with the Human Torch as well uh, and given him solo stories in the 60s. This was an odd concept that I'll take this guy from an established team that doesn't normally split up, and then I'll put him in a series of a, you know about a hundred team ups with the rest of the Marvel universe. So Ben's worked with everyone because of this book. I get it for Spider Man over at DC. I get it for Batman and Superman. You know, you're big stars, and you want them to team up with everyone. It sells either on the basis of that character or the person they team up with. But Ben Grimm, it's always been a weird thing to me that he's the star of Marvel 2-in-1. Right. Because of that, it, you basically made the thing one of the more recognizable Marvel characters, right? I mean, when, when you think Spider-Man, Hulk, 
yeah, those make sense. But then you got the thing. If you show anybody the thing, everybody knows who the thing is. It's very weird. I mean, it's not like we had our Fantastic Four movie, sure. But uh, I think even before then, Ben is up there with those other characters. Obviously, he's not quite Spider-Man, but he's kind of got his own, you know, niche in pop culture. And I think that, uh, you know, I, I think he's a little underrated because of that. I think for, for being somebody who's never really broken out in his own book and been tied, like you said, to the other three of the Fantastic Four, he's obviously just much more known than Mr. Fantastic or Sue Storm. He, he's the thing, and I think that he kind of deserves a little credit for him carving his little spot there. And as a visual, they even gave him his own sh- cartoon show at one point. He wasn't really Ben Grimm, but... But, but he was still the thing, you know? It's like we can port this concept out of the Fantastic Four and still works. He needs no introduction, uh, but let's talk about Iron Man's publication history a little bit. I mean, also a character that maybe doesn't need much introduction. Sure. Uh, he was co-created by Stan Lee, Larry Lieber, Don Heck. Shout out Don Heck. We shout him out every time. Uh, and Jack Kirby. Tales of Suspense 39, 1963 was the his first appearance. Solo title started in 1968, ran all the way up until the Comicton fell into this reboot of Rama, uh, 1996 is uh, Heroes Reborn, and then I, I don't know do they, if they ever went back to the original numbering or not. I don't think it really matters. I don't even know why they put numbers on comic books anymore. I'm pretty sure they're just rebooted every few months and or put out as uh, trade paperbacks anyway. Oh, and he was kind of in some big movies. Sort of. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Iron Man is a character that has this long history and checkered at times, but uh, at, in this, at this point, we're looking at 1975. I, he's less than 12 years old. Uh, that's pretty amazing to think that, you know, at this point, he's just, you know, just a regular superhero yeah. like everybody else in the Marvel Universe. When this comic came out, we were about as far away from his first appearance as we are now from his first movie appearance. I mean, it, it seems like Iron Man wow. 1 came out yes, yesterday, right? Yeah. But that was 10 years ago, and we were only 12 years out when this issue came out. So um, it's just kind of wild to think when you read these old back issues that he was still, I wouldn't say a new thing. But uh, it's not like he ha- was quite as established as he is now, obviously. Right? Yeah, everybody was kind of new in the Marvel Universe right. at, at right, that point. Exactly. Yeah. Well, let's look at the comic itself. Marvel 2 and 1, number 12, The Stalker in the Sands by writer Bill Mantlo, penciler Ron Wilson, and inker Vinnie Coletta. Somewhere in the Israeli desert, Ben Grimm, the blue-eyed thing, is sitting in a high-tech contraption, lowering the machine's canopy down. He's ready to go already. We then find that Tony Stark is behind high-tech contraption. He's warned that patty cake, the name of the craft, has never been tested. Tony exclaims, of course something go wrong. That's why I asked Ben Grimm to make the first flight. Tony explains that the launch is taking place over a deep silo, so the tremendous engine exhaust will be channeled beneath the desert sand. The countdown begins and blast off. Except, where's the craft? It's not showing up on radar. Little does Tony know, the ship crash-landed at the bottom of the silo. As Patty Cake 1 lies smoldering in the underground, the thing punches himself out of it. And though he could just wait for Tony Stark to find him, he'd rather investigate the blinking light up ahead. He's shocked by what he finds at the end of the tunnel. From there, Tony suits up as our ever-loving, gold-faced Avenger is ready to investigate. He briefly thinks it over and realizes the ship didn't go up. It must have gone down. He flies down the silo shaft, only to find the ship's wreckage has been abandoned. Just then, a voice shouts out, Turn, fiend! Turn and face he who was and is Prester John. Showhead turns to find a man who can only be described as a He-Man villain reject, standing over a paralyzed thing kneeling before him. Iron Man attempts to free his friend before he, too, is forced to kneel. Prester John recounts his tale. 
how he was awakened from a 700-year-old slumber by the human torch and Wyatt Wingfoot, how they destroyed the evil eye that was his weapon, how he then wandered the desert until he found refuge in a Bedouin encampment, and how they honored him as a god and brought him presents, including a radiating green gemstone that had been passed from father to son for countless generations. How the stone twisted his mind and made him believe he was the creator of the universe, the master of all. How he was compelled to destroy the Bedouin tribe in a sandstorm. And how the stone's power opened the ground and made him fall down to an underground tomb deep below, in which he slept for lack of air. But Stark's experiment has caused oxygen to flow back into the cave, and so he has arisen. As our two heroes sit paralyzed, Tony realizes he's able to get some movement from one of his hands. He raises his right hand and delivers a repulsor blast to the thing. Hey, that hurt! Ben is free from Prester John's influence. But what's good for the goose is probably good for the gearhead. He smacks Iron Man upside the head, breaking him from his paralysis. The two heroes follow Prester John out of the exhaust tube to the surface, Ben planting his rocky mitts and feet into the metal to help his climb while Iron Man flies up beside him. When they come out of the tunnel, it's clobbering time, and the heroes won't rest until they've separated their opponent from the gemstone that seems to be giving him his lust for power. Prester John immediately knocks Ben back into an oil pipeline, crude, gushing over the scene. Iron Man attempts an aerial assault, but is thwarted. Prester John is amazed that his sword has no effect, proclaiming that Old Shellhead must be a demon or sheathed in magics. Neither, pal. Just good old American know-how and a pocket full of transistors. The thing returns to the fray, hitting Prester John with a body shot, and another, and a devastating two-fisted third. But once again, Ben is flipped back. Iron Man sees Ben isn't getting anywhere and wonders to himself if instead of focusing on the man, they should focus on the source of his strength, the stone. Iron Man distracts Prester with repulsor blasts. And here comes the thing again, but he tries a different strategy. He grabs the stone hanging around Prester John's neck, pulls it off, and throws it far into the sky. Impossibly, it gains speed as it climbs. For the ancient knight, the dreams waver, grow dim, and fade. He awakens from his madness as the gem tears through reality and disappears in a flash of rainbow light. As Iron Man wonders if they'll ever see it again, Ben shrugs. He's hungry. Let's find a McDonald's. And you know what? Prester John is a little bit peckish. So, that's the issue. That's the story. Uh, what did you think of this one, Mac? I tell you, it was, it was an interesting little read. Uh, I, you know, I praised Tony Stark earlier for being uh, a genius. Uh, except in this issue, he kind of screws up and admits that he has no clue how, if this ship's going to work, but since he recruited Ben Grimm as the superhero equivalent of a test dummy, that's definitely not cool <laughs> to treat your pal that way, but also kind of ingenious. I mean, think of the R&D dollars you'll save by just testing out on uh, nigh-invulnerable superheroes. It's a really bizarre. I mean, it's very strange. Other than that, you know, I thought I thought the issue was okay. I, I imagine this is probably pretty standard for these two-in-one slash Marvel team-ups. You know, you, you get two pals together, they're going to eventually team up and fight someone, and then they kind of wrap it all up before the issue's over. I'm not really sure. I will say, Prester John is very weird, right? This is this is a strange supervillain, and I don't even know if I've ever encountered him before. Did he ever show up after this issue? Uh, yeah, he did. Uh, and there is a wink to, to his existence in the Doctor Strange movie, uh, because the evil eye that they're talking about looks like a big, I don't know, it looks like torch, like an Olympic torch kind of deal. 
and it's pink. That object is in the display cases in Doctor Strange's house. And, uh, I, I mean, I noticed it. Surprised to find that I was, like, the first one to notice it. And maybe the only one to notice it, so maybe that's <laughs> not what it is. But uh, it really looked like the evil eye. Before this, he'd appeared in uh, Fantastic Four number 54, which that's the story that he recounts. I don't know. He's like the Jack Kirby version of Joseph of Arimathea, the, you know, mm. from uh, the third uh, Indiana Jones movie sort of thing. He's this king. The person exists. Well, exists. The legend it truly exists. It's a, it's a king who uh, goes to the far, the further east, perhaps India, uh, and he becomes like a Christian king in those climes. And uh, then he becomes this sort of legend that other crusaders and whatnot would try to find him and his kingdom. Uh, so he's a little bit like the guardian of the Holy Grail in one sense and like they sort of just combined all of these concepts into one and made him a sort of a supervillain or I don't know if he's a supervillain per se he's always being manipulated by whatever artifact he has in his pocket like at the end of this they go out to eat so maybe he's not that bad <laughs> yeah I guess he's not that bad of a dude he just like you said keeps getting he keeps grabbing the wrong artifacts apparently unlucky and uh, you know, at the end of this, it's basically let's go to McDonald's. It's uh, you know, it's Black Belt Jones. It's that ending. I just don't know, like, how does this guy work? I mean, I understand the Fantastic Four had encountered him in the past, and the Fantastic Four encountered some very bizarre villains. But you're teaming up with Iron Man. This is like Prester John, really. Like, this is all we got. But I, I guess whatever. I guess it kind of worked, sort of. I don't. It's so strange. There's a lot of really just strange stuff, like the silo going down and it's because he's trapped underground so did they put presser john underground or did they and they put the silo to access presser john or because they were going to do the silo they decided to put presser john underground like what i don't understand how all these things fit together it's very very strange well welcome to bill manflow uh, right I, yeah and he's, he's basically marvel's bob haney and uh if anyone <laughs> you know anyone knows bob haney is just like uh, everything is for convenience yeah, uh, yeah. what is you know uh, bob haney does things like let's make black canary bruce wayne's secretary why because I, I need her there you know yeah. so there's yeah. no relationship to normal continuity. Bill Mantlo works a little bit more in continuity, and even even this is a sequel to another story. You know, So he knows this Marvel Universe. But uh, at the same time, a lot of weird stuff happens. And uh, like Tony Stark in this needs to be kind of... Uh Kind of dumb, you know. Yeah. He, he puts he puts the engine on the wrong side of a ship. I mean, it, yeah, <laughs> it's just so bizarre. It's so strange. Yeah, and this is the Iron Man with the nose. We should say this was the brief period of the nosed Iron Man armor. How how brief was it? I think it was maybe maybe fourteen issues, like two years. I mean, well. Maybe about two publication years, maybe. Okay. So maybe up to 24. I don't I don't know exactly. It was just a brief blip of time where the nose just randomly appeared and then the nose randomly fell off the armor. Legend says that uh, Stan Lee was walking around the offices and was just looking at a picture of Iron Man and was like, man, he should really have a place for his nose to be. And somebody was just like, they took that as, oh, he should have a nose. So they started just drawing a nose. And then Legend also has it that, you know, a year or so later, Stan was walking around the office and was like, where do you get that nose from? And then immediately people just took the nose off. I mean, it was just, <laughs> there's no real reason it came and went. It's very bizarre. So you don't like it? Oh, I do not like it. Absolutely not. I do not like it. I, I mean, I suppose they thought maybe it would work to make him a little more emotive, right? Like to make the, because obviously you can't, it's like, uh, who pioneered Sp uh, Spider-Man's eyes? You know how you can, they'll dilate one and open, you know what I mean? 
even though they're not eyes, it's his mask, you know? So maybe they were trying to add a little more emotion to Iron Man's face in the process, but it just doesn't work. It just doesn't, it just looks really strange. I think it looks slightly better on the cover. You know, Jack Kirby kind of makes it work, but I don't think it registers as Iron Man. You know, you've got your your Kirby-esque figures, and even Prester John is, is better colored on the cover as well, because he's, he's got a very plain-looking color palette. He's got a mix of pale orange and yellow. It all runs together. Yeah, sure. it's not great. Uh, on the cover, they make a, you know, there's a better contrast, but he's got the same colors as Iron Man, essentially, so maybe that's why that's not the case in the interior. Anyway, so you've got, like, a, a pretty dynamic figure of Iron Man on the cover, you know, that's Jack Kirby, but at the same time, the nose makes it seem like, is this Iron Man or is this supposed to be some other character? The titles weren't there, let's say. Right, 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 right. It's a weird quirk of the early, mid-70s. Just a blip in time where they thought it would work, and luckily they never really went back to it ever again as far as I... Unless it was a joke. I don't remember it ever seriously coming back. What did you think of the action in this? It was not bad. The knockdown drag out with Prester John in the end is pretty good. I, I They do a good job of having each hero sort of make their assault fail, and then they sort of both kind of come to the uh, realization at the same time that we got to get to the stone, and then, the, you know, Iron Man distracts with the repulsor blast so the thing can grab the stone and throw it. I mean, that was pretty cool. That was not a bad usage of teamwork. Yeah. And the great two-page splash when they first get up there to, to start attacking him, too. Yeah, that, that's nice because later on, Marvel Chain 1 becomes very cramped, I find. That they find, a, you know, a room at this point, this is just issue 12, you know, room for splash pages, bigger panels. It actually helps the book quite a lot because uh, Ron Wilson does a lot of these little cramped little panels full of fighting. It happens in this too, and it's just there's no scope to it. It's, you know, at, at some point it just becomes a very ordinary punch-up for me. It's just Ben punching and then getting punched back. And uh, when they can go wider, bigger, and suddenly... You know, you've got a comic story. You, it, it helps the pace quite a lot. But later issues aren't so good at doing that. Flipping back through, I mean, you're right. It is pretty cramped. There are a lot of panels with a lot. It's like we got a panel here for a punch. We got a panel here for a punch. We got a panel here for a punch. And this is all on one page. They got nine panels or whatever trying to cram all these punches in. I think that maybe that was why that big two-page spread of the it's clobbering time stands out because it is really kind of a change of pace from the rest of the issue. Yeah, yeah. And they've also got room, you know, to do the big Prester John reveal, to do Prester John sitting in his sweet chair with the Bedouins, uh, all of that stuff is, you know, it's got room to breathe. And I think later yeah. on, they, they cut down on number of pages, uh, but they didn't cut down on story, at least, to their credit. So that's when I think the late 70s, Marvel's books were more like a 17-pager, a lot of cramped business in there. And I got to say, I, I don't know how I feel about them using, because Lord, what was it, three full pages to tell us Prester John's like, uh. origin and where he's been this whole time? Like, uh, that's why I, this is so strange to me, because me, Prester John is just a nobody. But they're like, we're going to give you, if you've been wondering where Prester John's been this whole time, well, let us tell you. And they break <laughs> it down like panel. He was fighting the Fantastic Four, and then he found the gym, and he ended up in Israel. And it's just like, this is a lot of detail. I'm surprised uh, by the the Israeli location. Well, I guess it makes sense if the, that first story was in that area. Okay, I guess. That, yeah, that's the only thing I can think of is that he yeah. had that, that issue had to have ended with him. If not, then this is even more bizarre, right? Yeah. Uh, well, it is still bizarre. What are the Bedouins doing? I mean, aren't they a Saharan tribe? 
So they're not quite, they're not really in this, the right desert for this. I think anyway, I, I should have done deep research on the nomads of the, you know, the desert, but. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> We don't want to offend any desert nomads listening. No, we apologize. If, if any Bedouin person is listening to, to this podcast, how's the reception? How's your Wi-Fi? <laughs> but I do like that, you know, it's not yet another New York story. So the thing oh, is... Oh, for sure. For the thing's sure. moving around. He's, you know, he's doing stuff. Uh, but generally, I think, yeah, I I didn't mind Prester John being there. It does seem to be... Uh, let's do a sequel. You know, the villain who was disarmed completely. and let, Let's do a sequel and give him another weapon. And another motivation. And uh, at the end of this, we're still wondering, well, what's, what's next for Prester John? This immortal Christian king slash, slash I don't know. <laughs> but I, I will say, you know what a really cool detail is, the more that I think about it? The fact that he was trapped underground and starved of oxygen, but the, the stone kept him alive long enough. And it was as soon as Tony Stark accidentally knocked the hole that then returned oxygen to the, the cave he was in that the stone allowed him to reawaken. Like, that's way cooler than it needed to be, right? Like, they could have just said, he's been trapped under there, right? But, yeah. I mean, to, to make it, to be the lack of oxygen would have killed him, so the stone was preserving him, basically, until oxygen came back into the cave. I think that's just maybe a little cooler than I was expecting from uh, a little Iron Man thing team up in the mid-late 70s. I think Manslo is good at, you know, there's a lot of crazy ideas in there. Just Ben Grimm as a guinea pig. is already... I still can't get over that. And especially when they're like... Well, I don't know who that who that was talking to Tony Stark, where he's just like, hey, man, this thing is just not tested. Are you sure we should be doing this? He's like, of course it's not tested. Absolutely something could go horribly, horribly wrong. That's why I got the thing. <laughs> I, I, I read that like three times. Like, am I seriously reading this right? He's actually being advised by someone that this could potentially explode or fail tremendously. And Tony's like, yeah, dude, that's why I got the thing. What is wrong with you? Like, obviously something could go wrong. I, I think there's such a strange exchange. I think there's another issue where Ben uh, agrees to be dropped into a volcano. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> he's a stuntman. He's like, he's the like evil Knievel of, uh, or actually the Super Dave of, uh, of the Marvel Universe. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, hey, this is Ben Grimm for Jackass. <laughs> Whatever, you know, but... Yeah, I think Super Dave Osborne is a way better Super Ben Osborne, Super Ben Grimm. Yeah, let's just uh, yeah, drop me in a volcano, whatever. And is, is he doing this as a favor? Is he getting paid? Or is he literally just like Tony Stark called him up and was like, hey, dude, we don't have time to test this thing. Do you mind flying to Israel so I can launch? I mean, <laughs> how does this, you know what I mean? Like, he had to take a call. Like, let me just, let me, you know, how, man, we got to blow somebody up potentially. Who can we do? You know what? Let me call, let me call Ben up. He owes me a favor. Like, this is just crazy. Yeah, you can't do it to the Hulk. No, no, yeah, you can't. Yeah. Well, so who's next? Yeah, they will pick up the phone. Yeah, yeah. Up. I'll give them a box of cigars. <laughs> uh, any last thoughts on the story before we move into our mini-debate? No, you know, I, I thought the art was pretty standard for non-headlining mid to late 70s issue. Vinnie Coletta made it look a little Kirby-ish. So you got that Vinnie Coletta inking influence. Prester John's dialogue, the these, thous, they, you know what I mean? That has always grated on me, like old Thor comics where everything's thou art, thy, thou, fiend. It gets uh, it gets a little uh, wearisome after a while. So, and w but once you kind of got through that, it was it was fine. It's rough. It's rough. It doesn't age great. If it's Shakespeare, it was dated the day uh, got to the page, yeah. So who fared better? This is our, uh, you know, a few questions that we answer every uh, show. And the first of these is how well this fits each of their 
stories or atmospheres. So is this more of a Thing story or is it more of an Iron Man story? What do you think? That is an excellent question because they do seem to share the issue fairly well. But I think Tony having the idea to use Thing as a guinea pig, we keep going back to it, but it's really one of the more memorable spots of this issue. Since he got Thing to be the guinea pig, I think he looks a little better. Sure, his ship explodes. But he's the one who had the idea to use Thing and not blow up somebody who was, you know, maybe couldn't survive it. So I think he wins the issue alone just on that. I don't know. I, well, I'm supposed to defend Ben Grimm, so I will. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think, yes, Tony Stark is sort of the trigger for the story. But uh, he releases the villain, a villain that then Ben Grimm has to punch into submission. I think Ben gets a lot more of the action. Ben is the one that throws the gem out of range. All of that stuff. You know, the story can't happen if you don't have Ben Grimm, because if you don't have Ben Grimm, you don't have a guinea pig, and you can't ever test that thing out. Uh, I, I get that, but he'd still be paralyzed down there if Tony Stark wouldn't have gone on there and was able to get an arm free to zap him. So, uh, Oh, no, I know. Uh, you're right. Yeah, yeah. The thing is very weak-willed in this. You know, he gets hypnotized early on. Uh, it's, it's a mix. I think that both heroes kind of look bad and look good in uh, different ways. All I can say is, I thank God Presser John didn't remember that he could paralyze these heroes at any point in time later on. I mean, like, I don't know, unless I missed something. Did it explain? It was the stone was just paralyzing him, right? It had nothing to do with that chamber down there. You could get shocked out of it. So maybe once yeah, you, knew, so. you knew, like, a, a workaround in your mind to block it. But, uh, yeah. I, I, I would have gone back to the well one more time if I were rolled Presser yeah. John. Just, just try it one more. Yeah, just give it one more. Okay, well, I'll, I'll give it to you in the sense that this starts a little bit like the Iron Man movie, where we're in the desert somewhere, we're testing something that Tony Stark made, and then shit happens. So it, it's like, it's an Iron Man story. And Ben Grimm's been invited to take part. Oh, yeah, that's a that's a good take on it. That's a take on it for sure. Let's talk about cool moves. What are these heroes' coolest move? What is Iron Man's coolest move? I mean, come on, it's the guinea pig. <laughs> we have to keep going back to it. It's the guinea pig. Page this one. So I still cannot believe that he recruited the thing to be blown up in a ship. This is just great. I love it. And uh, for the thing, I will say agreeing to be a guinea pig. It takes some, well, yeah, it takes some rocks as the, Ooh, we, we, we can hey. say that, yeah. Uh, it takes a lot of balls to, to just agree to do this sort of stuff. And the thing is friends with, or at least acquaintances with, a lot of these crazy scientists. So, uh, you know, if, if you do this for Tony Stark, what what's the stop? Hank Pym from giving you a call, Bruce Banner from giving you a call, and, and, all, and next thing you know, you know, you're all booked up doing crazy stunts. And he's got Reed already, right? Who knows what Reed's subjected oh. this poor guy to, right? Yeah, that's probably Reed is giving them Ben's number. Actually, you know what? <laughs> Reed probably, a after FF number one, bump, getting them bombarded with cosmic rays and ruining his life, probably doesn't go back to the, hey, you want to try this little scientific experiment for me? Because, you know. The one he did was pretty bad. And then I'm sure if we looked at some Fantastic Four issues, uh, we'd see that's, that is that is wrong. Yeah. Reed Richards keeps calling on him. For <laughs> All the time. All the time. He has no shame, that man. Goodness gracious, Reed. Uh, what is then Iron Man's weirdest or dumbest move in the issue? <laughs> the fact that it, I mean, it was when he was contemplating, well, where's the ship? It's not showing up on radar. Where could it have gone? And he's like, I know. If it didn't go up, it must have gone down. And then he goes, he says something like, ah, two points, Tony. And I'm like, is it two points? Like, <laughs> the shaft is a basketball hoop? And he shot the thing down and he got two points for making it down the silo? Or is he giving himself two points 
for getting the right. I was like, why did you just exclaim, ah, two points, Tony? <laughs> just come on, dude. <laughs> for the thing is when he busts through the oil pipeline and he makes this weird comment uh, that seems to mean that he thinks that oil is just an Arab thing. Yeah, that was... And you're in Israel, so it's already kind of politically touchy what you're saying there. Yeah. Uh, but, um, but, but he, he says he says something like, well, I don't see what all the fuss is or whatever. <laughs> like, what's the fuss all about? If this oil, the Arabs can keep it or something like that. It was yeah. like, whoa, this line did not age well. <laughs> it, it doesn't make any sense. I mean... Uh, I mean, I know he's just, he's just saying oil's gross. But <laughs> what do you got to bring the Arabs into it? That's messed up, man. There's nobody over there bathing in it. Or maybe there are. I don't know. <laughs> Surely they've seen Beverly Hillbillies. Oil exists at places outside of... Oh, come on, dude. It's a very strange line. The friendly or unfriendly farewell. It's a team-up tradition. I say unfriendly because very often in the Thing stories, he doesn't get treated so well by the guest star. Uh, and I mean, I just started this. He's, he's, you know, he's kind of the, the punching bag. But uh, how does this one rate? The power dynamic or the friendship between them? Uh, who sort of wins socially? Good question. Probably Prester John for not being trapped in an underground cave mm. for eternity. Uh, now he gets to go to McDonald's, which is only slightly better than being trapped in an underground cave for eternity. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the ending, everybody was pretty happy. Maybe they all get to share it equally. Ben is a little... Harsh with uh, Iron Man because it's like uh, you know you've been watching Star Trek too much or something. Shut up about the sequel to this. There's a rift in space above us. We don't want to deal with that, Tony. Let's just go get a bite to eat. The issue's over. We, we may not have touched on that enough. That, that, okay, <laughs> Thing throws the stone as hard as he can throw it, which is okay. Great, he threw the stone. Obviously, it's just gonna get lost somewhere, and Prester John can come out. No, no, no. It's like a being poltergeist its way out of Prester John into the sky, and there's like this crackling amoebus energy above them, and all of these bizarre memories that had been in Prester John's head begin to escape. Like, the ending of this was, like, sneakily very bizarre. <laughs> like, it wasn't just, oh, we beat up the bad guy, it's all done. He throws the power stone, and a being is relieved from Prester John's body. It was very, and that was another, I reread a few parts of parts of these where I was like, did I just get that right? Like, what what, what did I just read? And that was another one. The ending with the, the poltergeist escaping Prester John was was another strange little part. They'll, they'll go two and a half to three full pages explaining <laughs> Prester John's history, but what happened when the stone was thrown was kind of quickly passed through. Yeah. The thing in Iron Man, this isn't their first team up. They actually met up in um, the, before Marvel 2 and 1 there was another uh, book, Marvel Premiere. Anyway, and, and in that they, they sort of debuted this concept. So they had the thing team up with the Hulk in the first part and Iron Man in the second part. So you know, they've known each other since the beginning of this team up concept. Because uh, this is the first Mar you know, this is the first team up book. It predates Marvel team up. <laughs> oh wow! If you can believe, Maybe, it. I, I don't think I had the, that timeline straight. That's pretty interesting. So they're friends. So I, I think we can get that this is banter, even if it's like yeah. you know, shut the hell up. Uh, they've known each other for a while, and they've teamed up before. Friendly ribbing, little jabs. <laughs> yeah, we'll take it as that. We'll take a break right now for a couple of promos, and then uh, we'll be back with our bonus team ups. Coming soon from Amalgam Comics. When Ben Stark crashes his space plane into an Afghani cave, he finds the radiation has allowed him to survive despite the machine parts piercing his body. Mentally refashioning the metal plates into a skin armor, he is now and forever more the thingamajig. 
running Stark Industries by bone to hide his misshapen form while using his brilliant mind to shape his armor to take on all comers. Every month, it's cobbling time. Don't miss it. Director Fury, the internet is besieged with lame, lifeless podcasts. What we need is a hard-charging, foul-mouthed band of brothers with chemistry, big brains on comics, and personality. Personality goes a long way. What we need is the Marvel Superheroes Podcast. I'm a legal machine. Diablo Frank. And I am Mr. Pixels. The Marvel Superheroes have arrived! Nick, internet radio is saved! Get this mother podcast off mother iTunes. The Marvel Superheroes podcast can also be found on Shout Engine, the Internet Archive, and on Rolled Spine Podcasts blogs. All right, we're back. Our final feature, the bonus team-up in which each of us proposes a perfect, in this case, Iron Man team-up. Mac, what do you got for us? I thought long and hard about this. Picture it. Iron Man and the Fast and the Furious Stick with me here. Tony Stark's technology has been stolen by Roxxon Corp., the head of which is 100% played by Channing Tatum. <laughs> it has to be Channing Tatum. Okay. Tony fits Toretto and his crew, obviously Toretto's Vin Diesel, with armors inspired by various automotive sponsors as they go on an Armor Wars-style campaign to get Tony's tech out of the hands of handsome yet evil Channing Tatum, who obviously has evil-inspired car armors for himself and his crew. Title, The Fast and the Ferris. That's Fast and the Ferris, an iron pun. You got me there, Siskoi? You with me here? I got you. Who on earth does not want to see a room where Robert Downey Jr., playing Tony Stark, The Rock, Vin Diesel, and Channing Tatum are all in a room at the same time trading quips and one-liners? Sign me up right now. China will take this thing to $3 billion on its own. Period. <laughs> it's about family. That's right. Exactly right. I love it. You, you can get car sponsors to pay for half of this budget. There you it's, go. It's not even, I mean, that's how these Transformer movies keep getting made. GM is just piling money at them. I, you know, I went as the final result will not be as insane, but uh, I also went insane. I did not pick some sort of superhero franchise. Um, although Fast and Furious can be considered a superhero franchise. Oh, very much so. I remember at one point, Mr. Fixit, a member of our Rolls Blind crew, said that th- there's almost no place for them to go except for Vin Diesel to actually start to transform into a car himself. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, don't give them any ideas. That could absolutely happen. Yeah, I'm actually I'm crossing my fingers that the next one they go into space. There, there needs to be some uh, space shuttle action. It's one of the vehicles they haven't touched. They got submarines. They yeah. can absolutely do spaceships. They're going to be the moon of the franchise. So for me, I, I went with Iron Man and Leverage Incorporated. So if you don't know, Leverage is a TV show uh, in which a group of con artists take down the rich and powerful who have hurt people. So in the mighty Marvel manner, it's, you know, they fight first and then they join forces. So they go after Tony Stark uh, with a con. Iron Man gets hacked, you know, like the, the armor and everything. But then they find out that Tony is guiltless of the corporate crime he's accused of. So they have to go after, I don't know, Justin Hammer or Obadiah Stane or whoever instead. Uh, what's perhaps interesting on a character basis is that Leverage's brains, Nathan Ford, played by Timothy Hutton on the show, is a functioning al- alcoholic. So there's certainly a scene between him and Tony that plays into that. So that's my idea. It's more or less, uh, this is for me and for like Michael Bailey, uh, who's the, <laughs> the other 
a vocal leverage fan. That's what I do with my team up if uh, you know if I could do anything. Going back to the alcoholism, well, uh, Discoid, I am just so disappointed. <laughs> how long was he an alcoholic? He was always from that point, but you know the the demon in the bottle stuff. Was that like you know what he he relapsed once I think in the nineties. It really wasn't a big a deal. You know, it wasn't like for thirty years he was an alcoholic. It was more like you know he drank and you know he's I think for a while he even smoked. He might have had to stop smoking because of the armor at one point. If I'm maybe remembering correctly, maybe that was a retcon. I don't know. But yeah, he wasn't like a hardcore bumbling, destroying public property alcoholic outside of demon in a bottle i believe he may have one had one more relapse but it's it's i think it was more such a kind of an iconic thing to have a hero with a substance abuse problem that like like is speedy right like i don't know a lot about speedy was speedy a heroin addict for like his whole history no but you kind of know speedy got busted doing drugs right i mean it kind of becomes more of the history than probably it actually is it happened like in that one issue where they wanted to address it and from then on we yeah. knew that that had happened, but before then, there were no signs. It's not like train spotting the comic. Choose your future. Choose life. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't like that. Uh, and similarly, they tried to do the same thing with uh, uh, Green Lantern and Hal Jordan. They gave him, uh, you know, a DUI and all that in, in like a reboot after Crisis. Just trying to make, uh, you know, give uh, your heroes feet of clay. But Iron Man was one of the first to go that route, right? Or one of the biggest, anyway, with all due respect to Speedy. <laughs> I will say, though, that just thinking over this little exercise that uh, that you had me do, trying to get this Iron Man team up going, it and I've, I've made this point on our show a few times, and I'm not trying to turn this into an Iron Man podcast, but um, how kind of disappointing it is that the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been so focused on this build-up to Infinity War. We don't get to see these, these storylines starring just the character, right? Like, for instance, just to... Throw another example out there, like Chris Evans is probably going to be done as Captain America, maybe, uh, you know. And really, his whole story arc has been telling this uh, Winter Soldier uh, Civil War stuff. Like, we're not going to get a Baron Blood movie starring Chris Evans, right? Like, it's it's not going to happen. We're, we're not going to get the, the full spy, Sharon Carter, uh, you know, Nick Fury spy stuff that Captain America was so great at. And, and the same way, like, with Iron Man, we got an extremist story. We got that little, you know, sort of Justin Hammer whiplash story, and that's it. We're not going to get any more uh, Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man, you know, solo movies, and that's kind of a shame. You know what I mean? I'd kind of like to see him do an Armor Wars, or uh, which, I mean, I guess kind of Iron Man 2 had a little Armor Wars mixed in with it, too, with uh, Justin Hammer stealing the technology. I don't know. It just Anytime I, I kind of go through this exercise, or I, I flip through an old back issue, I'm like, man, I'd love to see Robert Downey Jr. make this movie, and they're not going to do it because if he's so devoted with the remainder of his contract to making these Infinity War movies, and it's kind of a shame. Not that I'm not enjoying these movies immensely, but there's sort of the what if. What if instead of doing the big universe crossover, they just told, I don't know how many movies are up to now, 16 solo movies? And I'm not so sure that it, it would have been worse. You know what I mean? Anyway. And at least Iron Man gets, those stories seem a lot more personal to him, the, the few solo stories that he got, compared yeah. to Captain America, who's, who's more or less telling somebody else's story from the second one on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people forget Civil War is a Captain America movie, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. is it? Is it really a Captain America? No, it's it's uh, it's uh, Avengers 1.5 or 2.5. I can't remember, did it come after 2 or 1? came after two, right? It came after anyway. two, yeah. So, yeah, it's an Avengers movie, and it resolves trauma for Tony Stark. So yeah. it's, it's an Iron Man movie more than it is a Captain America movie, 
in some ways. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree that if they focused on, well, it would have meant giving Iron Man three more movies. And I don't know if, if that's what they, they would actually have, have gone on to do instead sure. of more yeah. team ups. But Captain America is the one that sort of suffers from it most. Yeah. Yeah. It's a shame. It's a shame. Especially as someone who is, uh, who went through the, the 90s period where Iron Man couldn't have been less cool in comparison to the X-Men, mm-hmm. to have him basically be the star of the most popular movie franchise ever, Shrug, is definitely cool, and I'm not looking that gift horse in the mouth. But yeah, man, I kind of wish they would have been able to tell some more solo stories, but whatever, it's what it is. Uh, well, thanks for teaming up with me, Illegal Machine. No, anytime, buddy, anytime. Remind people where they can find you. All right, you can find us at Rolled Spine on Twitter. Links to all of our blogs and podcasts can be found there. We talk TV shows. We have a show called The Coming Thing, which is about a little television show starring Bruce Campbell called Briscoe County Jr. Deep cut. For sure. <laughs> but if you like Bruce Campbell, it's not that deep cut. That's true. We talk music. We have a podcast called One Song Each, where we each just pick a completely random song and talk about what it has to do with our lives. Very fun. We do movie reviews. We just talked Aquaman not too long ago. Uh, we do tons of comic-related stuff. Our The Marvel Superheroes podcast is the longest running of our podcast. We do a great show that I'm not really a part of called Spawnometer, which is like about as detailed deep dive in the history of Image Comics as I think you're going to find basically anywhere. And more. We do work blues. We got B words, F words, P words, S words, D words, C words, MFers, SOBs, and whatnot. We can take words you didn't think were you could be offended by and make them offensive. Uncomfortable and frankly bizarre interjecting of political and social commentary. We got the market cornered, folks. So please follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook. We post memes on Facebook. Memes, people. Who doesn't love memes? Uh, so come check us out if you haven't listened to us. I've got two shows that go pretty blue. So those ones, <laughs> I think, oh, a little something, the Rolled Spine podcast. Well, we're glad. I don't know if that's a positive influence or negative influence, but it's an influence nonetheless, and I will take that as a compliment. I will also say I was very tempted to ask if you wanted to lonely heart the hell out of this out of that issue and us just full on do voices sound effects <laughs> i want to hear your ben grim very very badly <laughs> and uh, and i want to do prester john I, I would have tons of fun with prester john unfortunately i just did not feel well enough this week to probably do something like that but man that would have been fun the onus of the production is on me then <laughs> and yeah. uh my ben grim ben grim with a french canadian accent is kind of uh, i'd have to who cares surely there's a yancey street in montreal right i'm not that kind of french canadian no uh, so I would have been better as as the Prester John because what sort of accent does he have? Terrible, terrible high school play Shakespearean accent is what it is. I can do that. I've done that. So <laughs> maybe one day we'll do a full production on one of these books. Sounds good to me. I think it would be awesome. All right. Well, a reminder that we do enjoy reading your comments. That The best place for that is fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can also visit the Fire and Water Podcast Network Facebook page or tag us on Twitter using the hashtag Podcast. See you next time for another amazing superhero team-up, because after all, justice is a team effort. <laughs>